Amen. The mark of a vibrant relationship with Christ is vibrant relationships with one another. The mark of a vibrant relationship with Christ is vibrant relationships with one another. Now, all of us um, probably may not go every year, but we're supposed to, right? We're supposed to do our yearly checkups with the doctor. And before we go to the doctor, typically we go in, we have blood tests. And then finally, when the day arrives, we go in for the, we go in for the examination and the doctor asks us questions. And she might ask us about our, our medical history. Um, she will look at all the data from the blood tests that were done. And she'll give us an examination. And so as we're there, typically, uh, she will, there will be certain things that she will see that, that uh, maybe we complain about, certain symptoms that we know of. But then she will also bring to our attention things that we can't see. Maybe when we... At the end of the doctor's appointment, we'll find out that we have um, high cholesterol or maybe high blood pressure. These were things that we couldn't necessarily feel when we went into the office, but they're things that the doctor could tell us. And so the doctor's looking at certain things that are visible and invisible. And there's certain markers of health or ill health. And the reality is, is that God's word gives us lots of indicators of spiritual health. And this text is one that, that helps us to, um, to really examine ourselves. We're not going to be going to a doctor's office today to get examined. But um, when we look into God's word, he, he shows us things that he has for us in his word. And so, um, and so this is a time of self-evaluation as we, as we spend this time in his word together. Well... In this text in front of us, we have four indicators of a healthy Christian. Four indicators of a healthy Christian. Each mark leads to the next. And the first one is something that only God can see. The first one is only something God can see. Well, let's, let's look at this. The first one is faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Now, the first two marks that we're going to talk about are found in verse 6. So I'm going to go ahead and read verse 6. And it says this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Now, when we are absent from those we care about, sometimes our mind can, can run in all kinds of different crazy directions. Maybe... Um, you find yourself in a situation where you're away from a family member, somebody that you love, some, someone that you care deeply about, and you wonder, are they okay? Are they going to be fine? Or maybe it's a friend, somebody important to you. You find out that they're going into a difficult situation. Maybe uh, they find themselves in a, in a difficult work situation, and you're thinking and praying for them the whole day, and you just can't wait to hear from them, talk to them, find out if they're okay. I know as a dad, sometimes my mind wanders in, in all kinds of crazy directions when I know that my kids are out and it's snowing or some other bad weather or maybe far away or maybe they're going to be driving through difficult traffic and, and my mind has a tendency to run in all kinds of different directions about maybe what might be happening to my kids in those situations. Well, Paul actually found himself in a place like that 
where he was worried about this church in Thessalonica. As many of you may remember, Paul and Silas went to this church. They preached the gospel. People made confession of faith. And they weren't there very long before they were wished out of the city. All kinds of riots were going on. And they, they got out by the skin of their teeth out of this particular city. But when they left, they left the church as a young church. They left the church bereft of leadership. And they left the church in a place where they didn't have any mature teachers. And so obviously this was a scary thing for the Apostle Paul. And he hadn't been there long enough to see whether or not their faith had taken root. Now, um, many people make professions of faith, but very often they're not genuine professions of faith. And only time bears out whether or not a person's profession of faith is true or not. And the Apostle Paul wasn't there long enough to know. He wasn't there long enough to know whether their faith was a genuine faith or whether it was a counterfeit faith. And so um, we notice that um, what Paul decided to do was to send Timothy there. And Timothy was one of his young lieutenants, a delegate. He sent Timothy there and he had two objectives. One was to evaluate where they were in their faith. And number two, it was to build them up. And so now Paul is writing just after Timothy returns. And so this is, this is what motivated the letter in the first place. We read in verse 6, at the beginning of verse 6, we see the words, but now. This, this, uh, this may be translated just this moment. Well, what this means is that literally... Paul started writing this letter right after Timothy returned and shared his report about their faith, about their life, about their life in Christ. And so at the heart of this thanksgiving that he gives for the letter is their faith in Christ. He says again, and I'll read it again, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought to us the good news of your faith. Now, there are three elements of faith. We have often talked about it, but it's very important. Because even the demons believe and shudder. So when we talk about genuine saving faith, there are three elements. There's knowledge. There's knowledge. We, we understand that there's a problem. The problem is, is that we've sinned against God. We have been cut off from a relationship with him. But we also know that there is a solution. That God has provided a solution in his son Jesus who went to the cross and paid for our sin so that through faith in Christ we can be saved. You see, the problem is, is that because we're cut off from God, we are cut off from eternal life and therefore we are bound for hell. But God intervened in sending his son to die in our place so that through faith in him we can live forever with him in heaven. That, that's, those, are the, those are the facts of the matter as the Bible states it. But genuine faith, saving faith, is more than just knowing the facts. It also requires conviction. It requires conviction. Conviction is, is um, knowing that something is true and actually believing that it's true. And then the third element is commitment. It is commitment. Um, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. I know I've illustrated it this way before, so forgive me if you've heard it before. But... Um, say, say you go to the doctor. Another doctor illustration. How about that? Um, say you go to the doctor and the doctor 
tells you that you've got something wrong with your heart. You've got a problem. But the doctor has a solution for your problem, and that is open-heart surgery. Now, any of you who have gone through open-heart surgery or known somebody who's gone through open-heart surgery, you know that that is invasive. That's, that's not an easy surgery to have to go through. But the doctor says you've got a problem, and the only way to save your life is if you have open-heart surgery. So you have a knowledge. You could explain your problem, and you could explain the solution, but it doesn't really, give you, doesn't really say that you have faith in the doctor's advice. You need, to, you need to have a conviction about it. If you are convicted that what you're hearing from the doctor really is true, then when it's time for you to, uh, when he presents the papers or make the date to sign up for the surgery, you actually call back and you make the date or you sign off in the paperwork saying that you understand, you need to do this. That means that you have conviction. But then there's a third element to genuine saving faith, and that is commitment to what you believe. You know that you truly believe what you've been told when you show up for the surgery. That means that you have a commitment to what you believe. And so here we have this picture of genuine saving faith, and this genuine saving faith that they had is for them the beginning of the Christian life. So the first thing is faith in Christ. The second thing, the second thing that you can see that this faith produces is love. It's love for one another. In verse 6, he says it. Again, we'll read that. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, their love for each other, and this love extended to Paul. As we notice in the last part of the verse, they always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, Paul said. And so um, one of the things that's really important for us is that we cannot assume that people know that we love them. We need to wear it on our sleeve. Now, for some of you, that's a really scary thought. So others of you are saying, hallelujah. But we, can, we can't be like the, the husband and wife where the wife comes to the husband and says, honey, do you love me? And the husband says, I told you on the day we got married that I loved you. And if I change my mind, I'll let you know. A lot, a lot of us feel that way, right? And, and that's, our, that's our nature. But the truth of the matter is, is that we need to wear our love for each other on our sleeve. That's, that's, what, that's what we see Paul doing here. And we see them expressing their love for Paul in the same way. Paul was afraid that they rejected him. How overjoyed he was when he found out that they loved him and cared for him. Just as much as he loved and cared for them after this time of wondering what was going on. For the Christian, love comes from faith like, like heat comes from fire. Martin Luther, Martin Luther put this, what, what faith produces in our life in this way. He said this, faith is God's work in us that changes us and gives us new birth from God. It kills the old Adam and makes us completely different people. It changes our hearts, our spirits, our thoughts, and all our powers. It brings the Holy Spirit with it. Yes, it is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It does not stop to ask if good works ought to be done. 
but before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever. Why does he say that? Well, one of the things that Luther taught us is that um, while good works don't produce salvation, salvation produces good works. And so if we have a relationship with Christ, if we have genuine faith that only God can see the visible manifestation for that love, at least the first one we're mentioning today, is love for each other. This is the, this is the, this is the byproduct of a genuine relationship with Christ. Like Luther says, we can, we can claim all we want to have a relationship with God, but if we don't see it and what that relationship produces, then we need to ask ourselves whether we've come to that place of transformation that takes place when we enter into union with Jesus. To put it another way, our love is proof of God's work in us. When the world hates, when the world hates, we love. Jesus said it perfectly, as he said everything perfectly. <laughs> Jesus said it perfectly in John 13, 34 and 35. He said this, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, how does this work? Well, since we know that we are sinful, we are quick to confess our wrongdoing. We don't hide it. We don't pretend it's not there. We know we're sinful, so of course we confess it. And because we know that we are sinful, we're quick to forgive others when they sin against us. I mean, we know how much we've been forgiven, right? We've experienced grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. And the reason why we forgive is because we have been forgiven. He who has been forgiven much, forgives much. He who has been, who has loved much, will love much. And so we see this so clearly. One of the things that I, I, I love about the church is that the church is supposed to be an anti-self-righteousness zone. Now, a lot of people, when they think about the church, they think about it full of self-righteous people. And are there self-righteous people in churches? Absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes we deserve that reputation. But that isn't God's vision for the church. In fact, the church is a place where one sinner comes to tell another sinner, one beggar comes to tell another beggar where they can find bread. The church is a hospital for the broken. And so as we come here, we recognize that we are made of the dust and so are those around us. And so as a result of these things, we recognize our frailties and our failures and, and consequently, Consequently, we are a loving and forgiving bunch, and we are people who have been rescued, who were once lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, but God had mercy on us and gave us life. And so we love, we love each other, recognizing our sinfulness, recognizing God's great mercy for us. Well, the third, the third quality, the third quality of a healthy Christian that we find in this passage is empathy. 
is empathy. Paul says in verses 7 and 8, For this reason, brothers, in in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of George Truett. George Truett was one of the most famous pastors in American history. He was the pastor of of, uh, one church, I think at one time, had the largest membership in the world. I don't know if it was when he was there or not. But it was a First Baptist church in Dallas, Texas. And George Truett lived from the late 1800s till about 1944. And he spent basically almost all of his ministry, over 40 years, pastoring in that particular church. Well, George Truett was a master communicator. Uh, When radio came out, he had his own radio show. He had a daily radio broadcast. But he had one tragic event that affected his life forever. He was out on a hunting trip with his his, um, close friend. And while they were out hunting, he accidentally killed his friend. He was never the same man since, following that that particular event. And his daughter said that after that happened, she never saw her father laugh again. So when George Truett would end his radio broadcast, his daily radio broadcast, he would end it with these words. Be good to everybody because everybody is having a tough time. His struggles, his hardships, the pain that he bore gave him a compassion for other people when they go through their own struggles and hardships. Oxford tells us that empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. To understand and share the feelings of another. And here we read that the Thessalonians' faith actually comforted Paul in his distress and affliction. And this, these, these words could point to, to tribulation. Paul saw himself as one in the tribulation of life. And he found his comfort in the midst of his tribulation in their faith. Well, why is it that a man who is undergoing the kinds of trouble he went through, and and many of you know the story. I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul went to his death because of the, because he followed Christ. What about, what about his, what about their faith could, could give him comfort in the midst of his tribulation? Well, the first thing we can say is that he was more concerned about their welfare than he was about his own. Now, could you imagine that? What kind of community we would be if we cared about other people's welfare more than we cared about our own welfare? Imagine. The second thing is that he knows that there's a difference, as we talked momentarily ago about it, that there's a difference of people's eternal destinies, whether it be heaven or hell. Paul was, what, what, what drove Paul to go to that city was to proclaim the gospel so that people could be rescued from an eternity without God in a real place called hell. And what gave him comfort was when he found out that they had genuine faith, they had experienced God's salvation, and that he would spend eternity with them in heaven. And, and so 
he, he empathized with them. He, he, he could not bear the thought of these people that he loved spending eternity separated from God. And as a result of it, when he heard the good report about them, he had comfort in his affliction because he understood that his affliction was worth it if it was for their salvation. And so we see this heart that he had for the lost. We see this in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He declares his, in, in a sense, his statement of faith. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, Paul Paul was, was thrilled. He was excited that they were, they were walking with God. And as a result of it, his troubles, his trials were worth it. In fact, we, we read here that um, their new life in Christ gave Paul life. He says, he says here, for now we live. The, uh, there's, a, there's an old uh, paraphrase translation that puts it this way. Now we can breathe again. Paul was so concerned about where they were in their relationship with the Lord that he could, he could, hardly, he could hardly breathe. He, 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 couldn't, he couldn't experience the fullness of life as, as he wanted to enjoy it. But when he found out that they were walking with the Lord, that, that changed everything, everything in his life. Their joy gave, in Christ gave Paul joy. We read in verse 9, he says, For what thanksgiving can we return? And the word there for return actually... Uh, means to pay back. And in, in negative context, the word can mean revenge. So he wants to pay God back in some sense. He says, for what thanksgiving can we return to pay God back for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? See that? See that empathy? See, that, see how their joy gives him joy? See how their life in Christ gives him life in Christ? Could you imagine if we were a community like that, 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 that lived that way and loved each other in that sense? And then we have the, the fourth thing, a servant heart. The fourth thing is a servant heart. He says in verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. What, is, what does Paul pray for earnestly night and day? First of all, that we may see you face to face. Now, if, um, if I had a nickel for every time I heard somebody say that you can have a relationship with God without being part of a church community, uh, I'd be a rich man. And really, it's true. It is kind of a half-truth, but it is true. 1 Corinthians says that there will be some who will leap through the flames. But do you notice here what Paul desires what does he want? What is, what is his heart's desire? It is to see the brotherhood, to see his, his brothers and sisters in Christ face to face. He wants to be with them. He wants to have a relationship with him. And that's what faith prompts. When we have a genuine relationship with God, yes, it, it prompts in our heart a, a love for each other, of course. 
It, uh, it, it prompts this empathy for one another. Of course, this empathy. When we, when we take a moment and we get outside of ourselves and we look at another person and their situation from their perspective, from what they're going through, when we stop uh, with our, our me-centeredness and we become an other-centered people that first starts with a, center, a centering on God and then as a result of that, we love those around us. Uh, these things are all things that, that come out of our relationship with God. And by extension, then, there is a desire for us to be with one another. And that's the beauty of the church. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir. You're here. You understand the importance of that. But this is a critical component because so often American thinking informs our understanding of what Christianity and a relationship with God is all about. You see, we enter into union with God vertically. That's the gospel, that God saves us from our sin and he opens the way that we can have a relationship with himself. And then by extension, he changes our hearts so that we love each other and want to commune in fellowship with each other and be part of the body. And so Paul wants to see them face to face. This is the first thing that we notice here. And the second thing that he, bring, that he brings out is that he wants to supply what is lacking in your faith. This word here for supply means to restore, to equip, to complete something. Paul considered it his job to perfect their faith. That's what his purpose was. And by extension, that's what our purpose must be for one another. To complete one another's faith. To serve one another. To look for ways that when, as we serve Christ, we can bless each other. This is what God does. This is what he calls us to do. Well, I'd like to make um, three points of application. I apologize. That I'm not going to put them on the, on the uh, PowerPoint. But here's the first one. Here's the first one. We must never allow ourselves to think that we have arrived spiritually. That is one of the most dangerous places we could ever be in our Christian life, to think that we, have, we know it all, we mastered it all, that somehow we, have, we are the creme de la creme, we've come to the end of the line, and, uh, and, and we're in a place of perfection. The truth is, is that there's always room for growth in the Christian life. This Thessalonian church, it was an amazing church. It was an amazing church. Think about it. Paul was just there for, for several weeks, maybe a couple of months. They're preaching the gospel. They left. Again, left. They were a young church. They didn't have spiritual leadership. And, and then on top of it, they didn't have mature teachers. But what did they become? They became a pattern for all the churches in their region. In fact, so much so that, that uh, there's a very mature church that was in Judea, and, uh, and, and they were just like the mature church. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It was supernatural. God did it. God did it in them, and God is always working in us, and no matter where we are spiritually, no matter how long we've walked with the Lord, there is always room for growth in our Christian life. The Christian life is kind of like an onion, right? The, the, we, we think about an onion, and there's a layer, and we peel that, that layer on the onion, and guess what we discover as we peel it back? There's another layer. And as we go through the course of our life, we find out that there's more and more layers that God is peeling back in our life. And you know when that peeling back is going to end? When we're with him. When we're with him. And until then, life is always, God's going to always challenge us. Why? 
Because he tells us that everything we go through, there's a purpose, and that is to conform us to the image of Christ. Good, bad, or indifferent, everything that we go through, God has a purpose for it, and it is to make us more like Jesus. And so when we find ourselves in these difficulties that we're facing, we need to ask ourselves the question, Lord, what are you teaching me? Isn't it good to know that none of the things that we suffer through are, for, are without purpose? You ever go through life and you say, why did this happen to me? Why did that happen to me? Why did I go have this experience? Rather than that experience just being out there and having um, uh, no real meaning and, and, and having no real purpose, God is actually going to use that experience, whatever it is, to conform you to the image of Christ and bring himself glory. What a good God we serve. As one of my good friends in this church once told me, God never wastes anything. God never wastes anything. Not even, not even the hard experiences of our past, the things that we wish we could forget. God uses them all redemptively. And as a result of that, we must never allow ourselves to come to the point where we think that we have arrived spiritually. Number two, God uses our hardship redemptively. God uses our hardship redemptively. And this kind of dovetails on the last comments, but um, notice how much joy Paul got from the good report about them. Paul was concerned about the Thessalonian believers. They were concerned about him. And it's amazing. It's amazing how difficult times draw us together closer to people in a way that good times rarely do. Think about, for those of you who have been through military training, you know this. You, you go off to, to boot camp, and um, you find yourself in the worst, <laughs> for most people, that's like the worst thing they've ever had to face in their life. And, um, and if it isn't the worst thing that you've had to face, you've had a pretty tough life, just saying. <laughs> So, so you, 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 go off to, you go off to boot camp, and uh, it's hard, and you feel like the world is against you. But you know what happens in that context? It's almost like this band of brothers forms. Like that'll take you through thick and thin. And then maybe somebody's uh, really, really ambitious, and then they decide to go to jump school. And then jump school's a little tougher. But then they're closer to those people in jump school than they were to the people in boot camp. And then uh, maybe if they're really ambitious, they decide to go to um, ranger school. And ranger school is insane. <laughs> it's insane. And so um, I, I had one friend who went to West Point, and he told me about ranger school. And he said, he said that it got so bad at the end that his, his buddy that he had to go through ranger school with um, all of a sudden got up. He reached into his pocket, and he thought he was taking money out. And he walked up to a tree and tried to put the put whatever it was into the tree. He thought that he was getting a drink out of the tree. He thought it was a vending machine. He had, and, he, and what did he say about that? He said, this is just in the last couple of days. I said, what did you do? He said, I pulled him through. And he brought his buddy across the line and ranger school, and they finished together. And, and uh, every year after that, once they finished their military careers, he and that buddy would go, see the, go to the Army-Navy game together. There was this bond that formed in the tough times. And, and this, is, this, is, um, this is exactly what, what the difficulties that we face do. God, God has a purpose in them. He draws us closer together in them. Number three, 
Love for each other is a mark of God's supernatural love for us. Love for each other is a mark of God's supernatural love for us. Paul was, again, and I mention this again, but Paul was concerned about the Thessalonian believers, and they were just as concerned about him. We have this picture of what God did. People who are strangers from different cultures and backgrounds. Paul was this, 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 this Jewish preacher, and here were these mainly a Gentile church, and, and God brought them together so they cared for one another and loved one another despite all of the... All of the, the hatred that often went on between the two groups. Vince Lombardi um, was a great NFL coach. He was he maybe the greatest NFL coach of all time. The Super Bowl trophy is named after him. And uh, Vince Lombardi, in a book by Lee Iacocca, was asked um, to define how you, how you build a winning team. Or what makes the difference. What it took to make a winning team. This is what he said. This is what Vince Lombardi said. There are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals and have plenty of discipline. Of course, important to have a winning team. But still don't win the game. When you come to the third, then you come to the third ingredient. If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy and be saying to himself, if I don't block that man, Paul is going to get his legs broken. If I have to do my job well in order that he can do his, I have to do my job in, uh, well in order for him to do his. The difference between mediocrity and greatness is the feeling these guys have for each other. Well, the Christian life goes beyond a season. It goes beyond a period of training. We're in it together forever. This is what God calls us to be. And for us to be in it together forever, it requires God's supernatural intervention. That he works in our hearts and our lives. You see, what God is doing in the body of Christ cannot be reproduced in in any kind of uh, human organization. You know that if the church depended on Christians to survive, the church would have died out over a thousand years ago. I'm convinced. I mean, look at the ugly history of the church. Look at the history of people who have come along. Look at the people who have, who have manipulated the teaching of Christ for their own ambition. Powerful people. And look, the church is still here today. This church is, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world is still thriving. The church of Jesus Christ is still growing. And there is only one reason for that. And that is because God is behind it. It is supernatural and God is doing it. We have, a, we have a man in the church who, um, before he came to know the Lord, he was, he, he was a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps kind of guy. Hardworking, very successful in what he does. And it's part of his testimony that prior to coming to know the Lord, he really didn't, he really didn't have compassion on people that didn't kind of live up to the same kinds of standards that he lived up to in his life. He said, then all of a sudden he came to know Christ and he started feeling this when, when he saw other people going through difficulties and pain and trial and hardship. He, he started to feel this kind of emotion that he had, never, <laughs> he had never known before, he had never experienced before. All of a sudden, you know, this, this person 
started doing quiet acts of kindness for other people. No one knows, no one can see, but, but he just goes about and does all of these kind, kind things for other people. And there is, there's only one way he explains it. It's that God has changed his heart. God has made him a new person. He is different than he used to be. Nobody has to go to this guy and say, you need to do this quiet act of kindness for that person or another person. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of him who prompts him to live this way. And that's why the church is a supernatural community. That's why we're different from anything that the world offers. Our motivation is internal. It's a motivation that God gives us. And as a result of that, we love each other and we care for each other. And we're empathetic toward one another and we desire to serve each other. Not because we want to look good in the eyes of the world. Not because we want people to think that we're great. But that we have been, we have been motivated by something that's inside. Something has happened to us. We came to Christ by faith and when we came to him he he changed our hearts he changed our, us from the inside out so that so that even though we don't do things to get attention we can't help but do them because we want to bring glory and honor to him and that's a beautiful picture of the church and that's what that's what we see in a spiritually healthy believer and the question is have you experienced that heart change? Have you come to that place where God has so wrought a difference in your life that, that you know exactly what I'm talking about? You know this change that's happened from the inside out. You know that you have Christ living inside you. You desire to please him and serve him. I hope that's you. But if you've never come to that place where you've never experienced that change, that, that, that you long for that, you know that you need this in your life today. Perhaps today will be the day of eternal life. Today will be the day of salvation. Today will be the day where you'll be reconciled with God. And as a consequence of your reconciliation with God, your life and relationships with everyone else will change. Have you come to that place? Do you know this, Savior? Please pray with me. Father. Father.